Hello and welcome to the First Right Podcast, a weekly conservative news show brought to you by Restoration of America. I'm your host, Doug Truax, founder and president of Restoration of America. Today, we're excited to have a chance to connect with Chris Buzkirk, the editor at American Greatness. Chris is a serial entrepreneur, author, and contributor to several conservative, free-thinking publications across the country. Welcome to the show, Chris. Thanks for coming on. Well, I appreciate you having me. So before we get into the book, great book, by yep. the way, loved it. Um, just give our viewers a sense of you know your background, how you got to where you are today. It's, I know it's varied. There's a yeah, lot yeah. of cool stuff in yeah. here. I, I definitely want them to hear it. I, uh, I can't help, I gotta tell you this. I always I get asked this question at the beginning sure. of interviews all the, all the time. And I always think the exact same joke goes through my mind, which is uh, the joke from the movie Airplane from the 80s. In the beginning, the earth cooled, and then there were the dinosaurs. <laughs> I, I'm not that old. Uh, but the, uh, but well, we're getting there. But we're getting there, like every day, a little older. That's right, that's uh, right. I don't, look, I grew up in Arizona. Um, I went away to college, came back, and then I spent about 20 years as an entrepreneur in finance-related businesses. Uh, you know, founded, built, sold a couple companies. And then about seven, eight years ago, 2015, uh, I made a decision that it was after having uh, sold a company, I made a decision I was gonna get much more heavily involved in sure. politics. Um, why, people would always ask me. Um, they'd say like, like, we always thought you were like not insane. Like, why are you doing this <laughs> right. to yourself? I get that sometimes. Yeah, right. <laughs> and my answer, was, my answer to everybody was, uh, it sounded slightly crazy, but also totally true, and people, I think, either got it or, or didn't, which is, uh, you know, I've got a family, I've got kids, and I felt like I had a responsibility to try and uh, make the country better and leave it better than I found it. Yeah. And there's a lot, of, a lot of work to be done, and I was uh, fortunate to be in a position where I could do that. Um, and so I got, have got very involved in political stuff back in 2015. It's just kind of grown and grown and grown and sort of that entrepreneurial like mm -hmm. instinct is, uh, you know, is, it's part of just who I am and what I do. So it's followed me into doing uh, a lot of political projects. The, the first thing I ever did in politics at any sort of meaningful scale was a web magazine called American Greatness, which has sort of gone from sure. strength to strength. Oh, and, yeah. We're going to cover know. that today for sure. Yeah. Good. Well, I'm, yeah. I'm, in for, I'm, fa I'm in favor of American Greatness, the institution, the sure. journalistic enterprise, but also the concept yeah. and uh, trying to, uh, what would be a good phrase for this? Make America great yeah, again. Yeah, right. How about it? <laughs> um, but yeah, so then I, that, as, one, as it does, like one thing led to another, and I just got more involved in trying to like, not just come up with something that was uh, uh, like a temporary solution, but like it's just again, it's sort of that business instinct. Like, how do you build institutions uh, that will can get stronger and more effective over time, and try and build those sorts of things? Like my um, kind of one of my running analogies on this stuff is uh, a lot. Of, I, I feel like a lot of people who grew up in politics, who work in politics, it's always like, oh, we're thirsty, I'm gonna grab a bucket, I'm gonna run up the mountain to where the spring is, I'm gonna bring a bucket down, I'm gonna do that every time we get thirsty. Right. And like my instinct is, like, that's a really dumb way to do it, why don't we just build an aqueduct and bring the water yeah, right. down here exactly. so it's just yeah. flowing to yeah. us. Sure, sure. And that's like that's sort of the mentality mm -hmm. I bring to trying to come up with um, and build solutions. Yeah, that, I've seen uh, that, that too, better. totally in politics with the, with the uh, on-year, off-year concept. Which, yeah. which definitely goes to this deal. It's That's like, right. oh, we're rebuilding again this year. It's like, well, didn't we just do this two years ago? It's like, right. well, it, we took a year off, and now we're back at it again, right? Right, style, the style, I say this to, yeah. before, to like political consultants and people, and people like that all the time. Like, we gotta stop thinking about politics as like a pop-up a pop restaurant. It's yeah. like, you know, it's not a food truck. You know, you've yeah. got to, trying to build something that's always on. There are not off years if you want to win. That's right, that's right. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Permanent assets yeah. is the way to do Correct. it. And, 
And you re I really love your background, and I'm a business guy too, and coming into politics and having that concept around, well, if you are gonna build some permanent assets, then there's metrics, there's the way you normally track these things, there's donor <laughs> accountability, yeah. there's all these things that kind of go into it, which is a lot of times, frankly, missing in the political world. Yeah. And so I think that uh, guys like you are a breath of fresh air to folks that are saying to themselves, why can't we keep this going? Because essentially, the business community, you know, you do your thing quarter over quarter over quarter, but in politics, you're racing to a time, right? There's an That's election, right. but if you kind of restart, you know, nine months out from the election every year, you're never gonna get there. So you gotta smooth it out in a, in a business yeah. sense. No, know? that's right. It's gotta be like, Democrats are very good at this, oh, yeah. by the way, as, mm -hmm. as you know. Like permanently organized. Permanently organized. That's, <laughs> uh, yeah. you know, I, there's a, one part of this discussion which kind of goes to the book a little bit is like, this is where I feel like people who are right of center need to update their priors, so to speak. Like there is a, a belief and, and a desire that the United States is basically sort of this, like almost like this Jeffersonian republic or Jeffersonian democracy or whatever, in which it's like broadly middle class and it's like you have uh, small merchants, artisans, uh, farmers over here, and everybody's kind of independent. And the, the, the political implication of that is politics is kind of back here, it kind of takes care of itself, and we're gonna to get together at like the town hall like sure. every so often, yeah. and we're gonna debate things out based on the merits, and somebody's gonna raise their hand and be like, okay, yeah, that. <laughs> that isn't it. Is that like, uh, you know, there, look, there are more people in Phoenix where I live than there were in all 13 colonies at the time of, right. the, of, of the founding. There's 330 million people in this country, and it's a very, very different country than it was uh, it's, it's some good, some bad, but then, then it was 150 or 200 years ago, and we need to be thinking about things uh, in, in that way. And one of the reasons I wrote the book is, you know, when you think about this sort of broadly middle class uh, country in which you have these sort of independent, you have these people who are sort of independent because they're an artisan, they're a merchant, they're, you know, a business person, they're a farmer in the classical, mm -hmm, you know, conception sure. of it. Um, that's also less true. There are a lot less of these... Uh, there are a lot less, well, the, first of all, the middle class keeps getting smaller. It's been shrinking for 50 years. Um, it gets poorer. It gets less secure, you know, both physically and economically. But also there's a lot less independence. Uh, you know, I think about, as a, just by way of example, we saw this in COVID in a, in a big way, right? Um, people were forced to do things that they would not otherwise do. Those people who were solidly in the middle class or upper, upper middle class, because they didn't have any independence. Like, it, they didn't run their, like, I don't know, whatever, three stores that were, I don't know, like it's all car stereos, right. just whatever the generic right. business is. Uh, but because they were, yes, they were middle class on an economic scale, but they didn't have independence because they were working for, so for Johnson & Johnson or mm -hmm. for Amazon sure. or whatever, and so the edict comes down and you've got to do X, Y, or, or Z. Or, you know, I think about the medical profession. My father-in-law's a recently retired surgeon. Uh, he had the classic sort of, uh, you know, what you think of as like classic medical practice. Small business, yep. he was an independent. Yep. He could do what he wanted to do. That's much, much mm -hmm. less true in medicine now than, than oh it was. Gosh, like yeah. it's moved into, Absolutely. you know, it's moved into these big group practices. That's a lot right. of doctors work for hospital systems mm -hmm. now. So those they have less mm -hmm. independence too. And I think for, for, for what the sort of country we want, I think requires more people to have more economic independence right. because that uh, that's that's really a predicate to political independence. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And then we're going to, so let's get into the book. This is a good book. Chris is a super smart guy. Um, we're going to start with some of these things. It's just a good segue into what the heck is wrong, right? Yeah. There's a lot of things. And 
you know, I, I would commend anybody to read this because it, it's super helpful the way you laid it out using stats and all your economic background and everything and say, this is what you're feeling. Mm -hmm. You know, I think you use the term at the end, uh, kind of a national entropy. Yeah. Where it's like, well, everything's getting wobbly, right? Yep. And so, but you do a great job through the chapters of, of narrowing down and saying, this is how this is failing, so to speak, and this is, you know, and getting to what we need to do. But let's, let's get into more specifically, what do you see? What are the problems? Yeah, so let me, let me say, what I, the book focused on, as you said, I tried to be very concrete in yeah. defining the problems, where, I could, where things could be measured. Uh, and I know sometimes people on our side, it makes them a little uncomfortable to talk about that, just a little, not a lot, honestly, because people want to say, and I address this early in the book, people want to say it's a spiritual crisis. Um, and I stipulate up front, I agree. Like, I 100% agree with that. Um, but number one, that's not really a political problem that can be solved. Uh, number two is, I just wanted to write a different book because there, I wanted to address things that were, uh, could be defined, that could be really concretized, and that were, I thought, susceptible to political solutions. Um, I am 100% for the spiritual solution too, Amen. but this isn't yeah. that, this oh, isn't yeah, that yeah. book. We're on the same page there, yeah, yeah for sure. Um, so what I, so my when I was thinking through the book, in fact, it's funny. I, I sort of wrote almost like more than half of like quite a different book, which I wound up like tossing because I was like, you know, this is like it's just like too com too much complaining really yeah, in the right. book, and that actually just became the first couple yeah, chapters gotcha. when I condensed it That's down. Funny. I said, here, look, if we want to have a solution, we need to identify the problem in a very concrete, um, uh, quantifiable. Way and so what I wanted to focus on was the th I thought uh, with the things that would define uh, what we would think of as success. Like what would like what's the country we want? Like politics at its most basic root is about building the country you want to live in. Okay, and part of that is um, you know what is the average person? What what's their experience of life? And I thought well, okay, so what would be what would be the things that would we'd all agree that we want? Well, uh, people should be uh, live longer. They should live be healthier. Uh, they should have uh, they should have the ability to have a family and a stable one if they want one. Uh, they should be able to raise children on a one single median income. In other in other words, if people want to have both parents working, that's up to them. But economically, it should be possible for to raise a family. Uh, on a single income. The United States had that basically from about the end of World War II until the late 80s. And it became the kind of the default setting like, this is like the American dream. And it is, because that's sure. historically really right. unusual, especially right. like in the modern you era. Bet. You bet. Um, and we lost it. The last, the last year it was possible to raise uh, a single family on a median, on a, on, or a family on a single median income was like 1989. Define, and just middle class, just what I say is you can own a house, you can own a car, you can send your kids to school, just like nothing extravagant, but just what we think of in our mind is the conception of like just middle America. Sure. And that hasn't been possible for right. a long time, and that kind of plays out in a lot of different ways. This is, you see it where family formation is down, uh, total fertility rate, which is one of the things I talk about in the book, total fertility rate is down like the, and this is again how I would define success, like our, a fertility rate um, that at least keeps up with uh, the population. Like right. you, you may or may not be growing, but you mm -hmm. shouldn't be shrinking. Like right. and for, you know, fertility rate in this country is right now is about 1.74, the replacement rate is 2.1 sure. roughly. Right. 
And that's a problem. That's a problem. Well, yeah, that's <laughs> it, no. It's a problem. Yeah. It's 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 a bigger problem. Like like if you look historically, and I talk about a little bit of this in the book, but is um, civilizations often go through periods of population growth and decline over over time, and they just sort of you know for various reasons it it, it fluxes. Um, we're definitely we are in a period of uh, organic decline, though it's sort of it's stabilized and we grow a little bit because of of net immigration. Sure. Um, but the the problem you have is you can't have a welfare state with a declining right. population. Like right. the math does not work, That's right. and so people wonder to themselves, like like why is there so much pressure for immigration? Well, I mean the people who are very pro like mass immigration are upfront about is it. like we we need more workers. Like we can't we're not. Repopulating, they get they get super. It's weird. They get super nervous when you talk about um, fertility and things like that. Like I don't know why. Like having a family, and having kids. Last time <laughs> right. I checked, should that's be right. pretty yeah, normal, right. right? Exactly. Um, but that, yeah, right. I mean, but that's but that's yeah. one of the reasons that like there's so much pressure for immigration. There's cultural reasons and all those sort of, and political reasons uh, that people want mass immigration. But there is this fundamental reality that if we just don't have that many workers because like median age in the United States has been growing since the 70s. It's like right now like 38 right. years old. Um, and as you get more people who are older, who aren't working, and mm -hmm. then you have also have this welfare system, who's paying for it, right? right. Um, like the system we have right now is untenable sure. except for the, you know, if we didn't have the dollar being the reserve currency, like yeah, we're, sure. we could not do sure. what we're doing. Yeah, right. So I don't know, th th those are some of the problems is that all these metrics, and by the way, you know, there's other ones too, like crime has been rising, like violent crime sure. ha has been on the increase. One of the weird, but in a way it's a good stat, but there's like a bad part of it too. Um, fewer people are, fewer people die from violent crime um, like on a, on a uh, per capita basis, but that's because of advances in wound care. Like yeah, trauma right, care, right, right. It's not what you think. Yeah, yeah. right. right. There's, exactly. lo there's like yeah. lots of stabbings and yeah. beatings and sure, things like this. Sure. But like, if the you get to the hospital, good, yeah. the, the <laughs> so look, we are advancing yeah. uh, well, in, in that, trauma right? care, yeah. which is a good thing. <laughs> there's a positive. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Yeah. That's sort of like the overview. Is like okay, and that's why yeah. I thought like the all the when these are all things that are definable. There's less social mobility, mm -hmm. uh, also definable. You can see like if you are the child of like a parent in X like strata of society, yeah. can you go up or down? Right. It's much more. It's just much uh, harder to go either up or down, right. interestingly enough. Right. Um, and so that also is really, that's a stressor on uh, on the type of government we have. Like constitutional right. self-government is really hard to maintain. And when you have like a stratified society that's also uh, stagnant in the sense of like lack of mobility, that gets to be a challenge for a lot for a lot of reasons. People sort of in the middle and, and below, they sort of lose hope and say, well, mm -hmm. this is just, it's all rigged against me. People at the top uh, of society, and when they realize they can't, it, that it's really hard to move down, they're like, ah, that's because I have like access that other people don't have. And so then you start rent-seeking behavior and mm -hmm. you just start to agglomerate the, like, the wealth and the power, even more so to the yep. top, so it accelerates that's right. the problem. And that's right. all, all of this is, from the way I think about this, it, it is, all of this is in the service of one big end, which is how, do we, how are we able to perpetuate uh, the sort of freedoms we have in this country based on constitutional self-government. I think that you can't do that if you don't have a big self-sustaining middle, middle class. Oh, absolutely. And uh, you do a really nice job of pointing out the potential around the unraveling of this. Yeah. Back to what you're saying about a whole lot of people in the country who think they can't advance and that it's rigged against them. 
what's the alternative, right? And so, you know, you get into the French Revolution and uh, resentment and everything yeah. that, you know, resentment, and, and then you're going to, okay, well, where are we today? What do we need to do? And so we'll segue into some solutions here. I think you did a great job, though, too, of, I hear like a lot of people say, well, the Roman Empire, you know, they, they take, but you do a nice job of saying, well, it wasn't quite that simple. Yeah. They went down, like you said, they, they came back. Mm-hmm. Augustus made some, you know, real good changes and we, you know, they brought it back from where they were. Can be done here if you do the right things going forward. And, mm-hmm. and this gets into, okay, well, Chris, tell us what you think we should do. You know, you've already yeah. mentioned some of the health things. I mean, it's really fascinating stuff here. Again, I'd recommend anybody read the book. Um, uh, but let's talk about, you know, what, what can we do? What, what are some of the projects we yeah, can take the, on? Yeah, so the book I told you that I, that I wrote and then basically tossed in the trash can was the book of complaints. Right, right. right. It's like, uh, it's like We've the, all got that running in the back of our uh, mind all the exa- time. Well, right? no, exactly. It's like uh, we, we don't need another airing yeah. of grievances, though. I, I tell you, I, uh, I was talking to a friend who, like, everybody who's watching this will definitely know who this person has written a few a few very popular books for the right. I said, I was, said this to him a couple of weeks ago. I said, yeah, I didn't want to write this whole book of complaints. It just wasn't what I was doing. He goes, I don't know. It's been working for me. I've been selling a ton of those yeah, books. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> well, sometimes it's just people going, hey, the guy gets me, right? Yeah, he hears yeah. what I'm complaining about and stuff. Uh, and I think that there's definitely a place for that because we do need to vent in some ways. I think it is a, it's a cathartic thing when you read it. It's like, oh, I, he gets what I'm, what I'm yeah. feeling. But... You got to get to the other side of like, hey, how do we get out of this? Right. This right. goes back to like the that sort of entrepreneurial mindset. Sure. It's like you see a problem and yeah, that's like really it makes you itch right. about like what's the solution? Right. Like it drives me exactly. crazy to just complain yeah. about it. Yeah. And so I and so I I, I thought the the latter I don't know what maybe third of the book is potential solutions yep. and and I'm quick to to point out like none of these are a silver ball like sure. none of these are like aha it's like kind of like those ads you see online like one weird trick and you yeah, can right. save your country <laughs> pull you in yeah yeah but there are, but there I what, I what the way I think about it is that they're like they're the things that where you plant some seeds and if mm-hmm. they grow and they work they point the way forward because the first thing is like uh, I had this sort of business mentor and, and he, what he had an expression he always used. It wasn't original to him, but he said, like, first rule of holes, stop digging. Yeah, right. Right. Uh, and so there's that, and then there's, like, how do you how do you get out? Yeah. And so, you know, some of the ideas uh, that I talked about in there were really focused on decentralizing power and giving people power to, or more power over their own lives to build solutions. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I talked about in there was... Um, it was what's sometimes called charter cities, yeah. um, which like I know some people like eye roll at that because, but that is part of the problem, right? And what, let me say what a charter city is sure. first. So, so a charter city would ex- fascinating concept. Yeah, so right. it would exist within obviously the physical United States, but it would exist basically under a different legal uh, rubric. Um, and under that rubric, they would be given, like, it would be a de novo city. It's just like, here's, I don't know, whatever, a 1,000 acres or 10,000 acres, whatever it takes. Um, I guess it would be more like 10,000, not yeah, 1,000. Right, yeah, right. You know what People I'm saying? A, a ton village, of land. Right, yeah, right. Um, <laughs> and they would basically be exempted from a lot of the existing mm-hmm. uh, rules. Um, still under the Constitution, obviously, but basically they'd be giving a very broad charter to just experiment. Build a new city, which is an audacious undertaking, which is, by the way, one of my annoyances when people sort of eye roll this idea, like, oh, what are you going to do? Build a new city? Well, why not? Like, yeah. we've built a ton of Tell them in this country. Tell them to read country. Alice Shrugged. 
Yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, get there somehow. I mean, but if you do that and you just allow the experimentation, I think a couple things happen. One is that the, the, the act of having to build something out of nothing um, is really unique. Um, and that's why, and you, you know this from the book, like this is I think part of what kept America as dynamic as it was, mm -hmm. is that it was a frontier country. Right. And like innovation and dynamism always happen on frontiers. Like you, there's all these examples in history um, where frontiers are where all these interesting things happen and solutions are formed. Why? Because they, you, if they, you have to. If yeah. you don't, you fail and you die. Necessity. Right, yeah, necessity. Right. It's mother of invention, right. famously. And it just draws in people that like that. Correct. You know? That's Correct. So you yeah. get like, you get, would get these sort of risk takers, innovators, mm -hmm. you know, just sort of interesting people. They'd have a, they'd have a pretty big problem, which is, and the problem is, uh, you got a ton of land. Sure. Um, what are you going to do with it to make it work? Uh, and you know, a couple of years ago, I was talking to some people about the about something like this. They were like serious people looking at. Um, well, actually, it's funny you mentioned Atlas Shrugged. Like Ure, Colorado, is the place sure. uh, that is, is supposed to be like Galt's Gulch. They sure. were actually looking at like what would happen if we bought up like mm -hmm. everything in Ure. Who would move there? And one of the problems that you run into, if you, even if you're just doing like, a thought experiment, is. Well, how do you? How does that sustain itself? Like, how do like how do people not just earn income, but like how do you just have the necessities right. of life? And so that's these are hard problems. But you know, look around. There's towns and cities every place. People have solved these problems before. And so I think like charter cities where you give people latitude in order to do things. I think that is a place where you say, okay, we're just going to agree to experiment. Right. And see what happens. Yeah. And you know, I guess my other retort to the people who kind of eye roll at this is like there is actually an example of this in the United States. It's not a, it's not a perfect example, but it, it, it is an example. And that's Puerto Rico. Um, Puerto Rico exists in a kind of a strange uh, like nether world legally. It's part of the United States. Obviously, it's not a state. Um, but they are, like, for instance, they don't pay federal income tax, like the, the, or I think they pay like a very low rate of federal income yeah. tax. Um, but they have, but they exist, like, in the United States for like uh, citizenship purposes. They're obviously under the military protection of the United States. But there are a bunch of regulations and rules that, if you are a state, apply. But if you are Puerto Rico, do not apply. Nice. Um, I've actually looked at Puerto Rico quite a bit, and one of the things I have realized is that. Like there's a lot of things that could be happening in Puerto Rico that aren't. Like there, like more imagination needs to be shown sure. in Puerto Rico. And I know like banking people and crypto people uh, mm -hmm. have done some stuff sure. down there, but I think there's actually a lot more yeah. that could be done. So it's not something that's unprecedented. Right. Um, Hong Kong, in a way, kind of played that role sure. um, in, in Asia as being sort of a gateway between um, between China, you know, the PRC, and between basically sure. the rest sure. of the world, and Hong Kong until it was taken over, was a very dynamic yeah. place. So that's one of the that's one of the uh, areas. Another area that um, that's pretty like it's kind of important to me is like I call I called it uh, uh, America One Hundred. Like we should like state a goal um, of the median lifespan in the United States being becoming one hundred sure. over a couple generations, sure. Sure. Yeah. and not just that, but that people are living healthier. Like yeah. you could. This is, we don't want something where we just have like rows of people in beds right. like hooked up to things. That's that right. Are, well, and then they have an opportunity to have a second career. All kinds career, of things. All yeah. kinds of stuff. If they're not, you know, if they're still healthy and making things happen. So this yeah. is a bit of an obsession yeah. of okay. mine. Yeah. Um, is that like the United States? Um, our the median lifespan in the United States has been declining for twelve years. 
Um, it is presently around 74 and a half years old. Um, and as I say, the trajectory is all wrong. And people uh, will, would say, well, I don't know, maybe that doesn't sound good, but it's a blip. It's not a blip. I mean, it's been happening yeah. for more than a right. decade. Also, we're going the opposite direction of our peer countries, like for instance in Western Europe. I mean, take France as an example. Uh, they're in the same time period, life's, immediate life expectancy in France has been increasing. It's now of 84 point something. Yeah. Um, so basically about 10 years longer than the United States. And they're like this, going like this, and we're going yeah, like right, that. Right. That's bad. bad. Uh, when you look at the other metrics of not just lifespan, but health, uh, getting worse in the United States, getting better in a place like, for instance, France, which drives Americans crazy. Mm -hmm. What do you mean? The, what, the right. French? Come on. That's right. Um, well, that's how they live. Yeah, well, seriously. What they eat, right? And what the, the drugs they take and all that so stuff. My, so my know? super uh, provocative uh, hot take on this, which is, I don't know if it's true or not, but I like it because it's got, it's got like a, it's just because it's a provocation a little bit, is that about 35% of French people are daily smokers, okay? Um, and that's something like 12 or 13% sure. in the United States. Sure. Uh, the, it, the French lifespan is higher, but also their incidence of heart disease, diabetes, all kinds of inflammatory disease is about you know 12 to 15 percent lower than in the United States. Yeah. And is it because of the smoking? Right. It's like, is, is there actually like a pro-smoking riff here? I think there. I think there actually. It, this part I'm serious, sure, but I think sure. there. I, I think there is a little bit, and it's not the smoking so much, it's the nicotine, which I think because of the obesity rate in France is quite mm -hmm. a bit lower sure. than the United States. And so what I think it actually it is is that there's uh, a link between nicotine and eating and obesity, and it's actually the lower incidence of obesity uh, versus the United You're States. You're smoking and not eating. Yeah. Well, yeah. and I also think that this French thing, there's that book called uh, French Don't Diet. Have you seen this? Yeah, yeah, same yeah. Well, a little bit of like, well, how does that happen? Ton of it is natural food. Yeah, I mean we have a real problem in this country with all the processed food and where we've kind of gone over the, the decades of like, oh, just eat that, it's fine. No, the, the oh, we're pyramid, doing another podcast right? just on that. Side, is that right? Yeah, right. Yeah. The pyramid. That's all wrong. Now, we we've got sold that bill of goods, and I think that it's really catching up with people uh, and the inflammation. And you even make the point too in your book. It's really funny, uh, sad, but you know, there's all these medications now to fix these things that are mostly fixable if you care, mm -hmm. care what you eat. But the side effects. Okay, so this is going to fix me a little bit, but then I got all this other stuff to worry about too. It's like we're living in this yeah. alternate reality no, now it's, about it's it. Totally, it's crazy. It's totally insane. I'm just, I've got to do like the, the shout out, like the seed oils in, the, in, right. in, in food yeah. are like insanely bad for right. you. Like polyunsaturated fats are just bad for you, which will drive like, I don't know if Anthony Fauci insane to hear anybody say that there'll probably be a SWAT team here in a few <laughs> right. minutes. But like, the, right. like you want, like, they are an inflammatory agent, right. and inflammation causes all of these bad health outcomes That's that right. we're talking about, diabetes and heart disease yep. and so forth, arthritis, yep. um, that we see a lot of. And when you are eating natural, naturally produced foods, and you, re, uh, and you have the, like, for instance, monounsaturated fats, uh, that you would see like in you know in grass grass fed yeah. beef or whatever. Yeah, those are actually good for you. That's like right. you need those things. That's right. There's there's the show. You may have seen it. Do you know the show Alone? It's like a oh real, yeah a yeah no, I, saw, show. I, I watched it when it first came out. Oh you did. Okay. Oh my gosh yeah. Oh, I like I'm totally obsessed with the show. Yeah yeah. yeah right. So what is the one thing that everybody realizes and they say it on like every episode the competitors for people who don't know like Alone is. You, they, you take a person who is alone and they mm -hmm. stick them out in the wilderness and there's like 10 of them and whoever can survive longest with like a pocket knife yeah, and you sure, know whatever, sure, yeah. they win. A flint. Uh, yeah, a flint. <laughs> they win like half a million dollars. Yeah. 
they always say the same thing, which is, I, I got to get enough fat in my diet. I got to get more fat in my diet. I got to get yeah. Yeah. more fat in my That's diet. Right. Or, or and that, but they uh, some of them and then like by midway through the seasons are always like. I got to get more fat in my diet or I'm going to die. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. And the, well, the guy is, who won first, he was like super overweight, I think. He I was, was going like to really make that, I was gonna make that point. Yeah. One of the, one, no, because it's yeah. so true because with the fats that yeah. they're eating are like, they, they would be getting are animal fats, right. which are good for you and right. necessary for your body. The There is a funny strategy that you're alluding to. Some people go on the show and what they do is they try and they bulk up yep. and try and get totally. really obese before. And yep. They're like, I don't have to do anything yeah, right. but wait. Mm, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I think one person, I think I, one guy actually won doing yeah, that, right? Did, yeah, yeah. And then, so that, I think he spurred a whole movement in that show. But that's a, yeah, that's, a, that's, that's right. I mean, it's just like the foods that we eat. It's like we have gotten so, some of this is just, you know, big country and yeah. goes back to all, you know, the original point that you were bringing up about the uh, lack of economic growth that we're experiencing. Then it, then you have all these other factors come in that basically shrinking your income, which then yeah. shrinks your ability to go buy necessities. Anything else, yeah. So then you do buy the stuff that's more processed. I mean, it's a terrible cycle that we're in and we just have to get back to the economic growth. I mean, that's the economic growth to. thing, I, and I just want to make this point is, because it's actually, there's a lot of it in the book, but you know, look, the what what, ec what economists call total factor productivity, um, it, which is ba it's just doing more with less. Yeah. Like you think about um, you know the change between uh, plowing a field with like a donkey and a and a hand plow versus doing it with like a combustion engine and a mm -hmm. tractor. Like the one guy can do you know 10x or you know orders of magnitude more than one guy could before. Or you think about the change when uh, when we electrified uh, mm -hmm. the country. You know, before there was no electricity, now you have all this access to power and all kinds of other things become possible and one person can do a lot more right. than they could. That's what drives, uh, that productivity growth is what drives rising living standards. Yep. When productivity growth stagnates, then everything becomes becomes zero sum. That's right. And that's the situation we're in now. Uh, productivity growth has basically flatlined or it's been very slowly growing since about the early 70s. We've been on, uh, I say we, but like, you know, basically Western civilization had been on like a 200, 250 year up curve from the beginning of the Industrial Revolution until the early 70s. And then when then it just dramatically yep. slowed down. Like it did, uh, most of the productivity growth in the past 50 years has been like an information technology and that's been real. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, but even that, a lot of the juice has been squeezed out of that, ar at that arch. Ca you know, the caveat I guess is we'll see what AI can do for mm -hmm. good or ill. Sure. And maybe that is a huge catalyst for productivity uh, growth going forward. The point is, is that we need to innovate more on basic science and technology yeah. in order to increase productivity because stuff. that is the mm -hmm. driver right. uh, for rising living totally, standards. Totally. Got to build. What's that? Got to build stuff. You got to have to build things well, and you've got to be right. good at doing it. That's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah. You make the point too. Um, last thing before we go, the financialization of everything. Yeah. And, uh, and your friend Peter Thiel. You know what? Something. I make sure I get this right. If your only job is to make a small piece of paper that says you owe me money on yeah. it, it's yeah. probably not a good sign, right? So I'm like, I'm thinking that's a lot of people in this country, you know, right. because this whole, you know, it's like this mindset now around this financialization, which then steers everything up to Wall Street, and it 
creates this growing gap, and we've got to have a different society going forward. Ever, ever since I heard Peter say that years ago, when he says, like, he says, uh, in New York, it's like it's like all these towers full of people whose only job is to write out uh, little pieces of paper, IOUs, that they give to other people that say, you owe me money. It's crazy. That's the I financial know. industry. I know. When like, I read that, I'm I, like, yeah. I, I can't, now every time I'm thinking about the New York or Wall Street yeah. or whatever, that's all I think about. I know, about. same here. Yeah, like, it makes you look okay, at things yeah. differently. Oh, yeah, man. it's just massive malinvestment sure. of, right. of, of, of of human capital. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, lots of problems, good solutions out there. Yes. Great book, really appreciate what you did here. Again, a good summary, a, a good uh, fact-based, data-proven summary of the, of the things that are wrong, and then some good solutions for it. So congratulations on the book, and I really appreciate you coming on, Chris. Thank you, appreciate right. it. Thanks. First Right, a new kind of news summary without the liberal slant. Every morning, in your inbox, always free. Subscribe by texting First Right to 30161. That's First Right, all caps, one word, to 30161.